Good morning. Welcome to Grace Point Virtual Church. We are glad that you are here today with us. If you have your Bibles, please open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 17 through 20. We're going to look at the last few verses here at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, today we are going to take communion, so it's a little bit odd being at home. So you may or may not have supplies. You may need to run right now uh, to go get them. Uh, we'll put a warning, hopefully that you had got the information beforehand. But in case you didn't, uh, we are going to take communion today. And so um, if you'd like to do that, uh, you can be prepared. Uh, a couple of announcements here. I do want to thank each of you for, for checking in. Uh, we really have two services now. We have the online service that we're doing right now, and we have the in-person service. And so in many ways, I, I try to keep the sermon exactly the same, but at the same time, there's nuances of differences, I think, that as I think to the two crowds, and so at times it's 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 it can be difficult. And so um, I do really appreciate you each checking in with me this week. Not each of you, but a number of you checked in, sent me emails and that sort of thing, and I really appreciated it. It just helps me now know who I, like, it refreshes my mind who I'm speaking to. I'm not just, I am looking to a camera, but I know that I'm, I'm there with you in your living rooms and wherever you find yourself. And so um, I'm just glad to be here with you during this time. Uh, if you are um, some, I know sometimes people are watching online that come. One of the announcements this week is uh, Kathy and Beth have been cleaning the church on a weekly basis. They, they do a weekly, like an every other week rotation. And so they're looking, it's really light cleaning, um, sort of, you know, the bathrooms, that sort of thing. And so they're looking for some volunteers to set up a rotation. So if you're interested in, in serving in that way, uh, you'd be, it'd be greatly appreciated. Starting this coming Saturday, I, I, when it's Sunday, I never know if it's next Saturday or this Saturday. I feel like this Saturday is the right thing to say because we don't, the very next Saturday that is coming up, we are going to start back up the men's Bible study. I think we're going to start in the book of Habakkuk. It's a little, there was a request to do some minor prophets, and so Habakkuk is one of the minor prophets that I really do enjoy, and so we're going to start that. So that's Saturday mornings at 7 a.m., you can email me or contact me if you're interested, but we just meet here at the church, and, and, uh, and so I'm looking forward to that. Next Sunday, October 4th, we are adjusting the live in-person service to 9.30. So the video stream and the live service will be at the same identical time, and we're, we've moved it because we're hoping that the weather's going to start cooling down. And... Uh, finally, we were going to start the book of Revelation, the adult Sunday school class that same Sunday, but due to a scheduling conflict with John Johnson, he had to push it a week. So, so that will start on October 11th. All right, with that, let's pray. Let's get into our passage for today, and uh, hope you guys are ready to, to be encouraged from the Word of God, encouraged and challenged. It's a little bit of both in today's passage. So let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your Word. We thank you, Lord, uh, for the gift of technology that we uh, for those of us who are staying isolated, that we can stay connected in this way, that I can still uh, reach into their homes and share the Word of God with them. Uh, Lord, I pray that in this time of separation that you would help us to stay connected, and Lord, r- really that you would lead us and guide us in all that we do. We do thank you for your Word. We thank you, Lord, that you are sovereign, that you are in control, 
And Lord, we look to you for peace and comfort and hope during these uh, difficult times. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 17 through the end of the chapter. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while, in person, not in spirit, we're, we're all the more eager with great desire to see your face. For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. For who is our hope and our crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. And Father, we do thank you for this word. We thank you, Lord for this time that we have to study these three uh, short verses. We pray that you would lead us and guide us now. And it's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. So we enter into this very personal section of of Thessalonians. Paul has gone through everything. And and from now until really the end of of chapter 3, probably he stops at verse 10 or so. But he gets very personal about um, sort of like behind the, the curtain of, of Paul's heart and his soul and what he is going through. Um, as I read this, I, I, I think that one of the images that's, that's come to mind for us in San Diego, one thing that we're very familiar with, is sort of the, the reunion on TV that you see of, of sailors coming back or Marines coming back from deployment after being gone for uh, long extended periods periods of time, six months to a year, when they come back and they're they're reunited uh, with their family members, and they you know there's scenes of guys running across the tarmac, you know holding their spouses, sometimes their ch- their children, sometimes a, a child that they have never met in the flesh before, and you might have ice going through your veins, but I I don't I. Uh, I get so emotional seeing these scenes. And, and the reason I think that I see these scenes is because I, I have been that deployed individual and, and that longing and homesickness and desire to get back to friends and family and, and a culture that I, that I know and I love. Um, very much this scene that we see with the Apostle Paul, it's, it's his being separated from those that he loves in Thessalonica. And so there's this, there's this deep burden within him. Uh, we know that he longed to see them. There's speculation. If you go over to Acts chapter 20, the first paragraph there is Paul's kind of doing his farewell tour. Uh, he makes it back into this region. Thessal- Thessalonians are not mentioned by name, but Paul may have snuck back in, into town and seen these individuals at that point, but potentially he never saw these individuals again in his life. And so as we begin verse 17, this is what we see here. But we, brethren, haven't been taken away from you for a short while. So this, this uh, but, but we, this stands in, in a, the stark contrast. So in, in the Greek, it's a, ve- it's a very strong sort of juxtaposition from from the thought that, that had previously been said. Now, remember the, the previous thought, the previous last few verses, what, what we were dealing with was the, the countrymen of the Thessalonians, the, the Jews attacking the church. 
sort of these these people who are your you're connected to them they're your fellow countrymen they're your fellow family members they uh, went after those who knew came to know Jesus as their savior and so they had been uh, a hindrance to the gospel they had been forbidding the gospel from going forth they've been forbidding Paul from doing his work and so these people really they stayed on Paul until they got him and so he contrasts himself with these individuals but we using the term brethren which he uses a lot this identifying with them as brothers and sisters in Christ that through their relationship in Christ they they are different in culture they're different in background and yet through Christ they become family he says having been taken away from you for a short while so this this phrase having been taken away from you for a short while is a is really a powerful word um, and it it really doesn't get conveyed with the emotion that uh, it, the, the, that the Greek conveys. So this this word um, in almost all of the translations, it, we get this sense of taken away. But but the word is a very unique word. It's only used here in in the New Testament. I'll try to say the word for you. It's ap orphan entes. And so the, the key word in there in the middle is orphan. And it's, you guessed it, it's, it's the Greek word from where we uh, get the word orphan from. It means literally to be orphaned. Uh, it, it could also, you could use it or just use the word to be orphanized. So the act of becoming an orphan. Now I'm certain that all of us that are listening to me right now our minds are already going a certain direction because for us to be an orphan, what does that what does that mean? That that means that you have lost your parents uh, to death. That you uh, your parents were taken from you in death, and that you no longer have living parents. Um, mostly, it seems to be reference to to younger children. Um, obviously, like if you're 60, 70, 80 years old, and you've lost both of your parents, we don't typically refer to you as being an orphan. Um, but this, the unique twist in this, with this word is at the time of Paul's writing in the context of, of the Roman theater, the word orphan that they use here, it, it can refer to the child losing his parents, or it could be a parent that has their children ripped from them. And so, like, as a parent, you could be orphaned, meaning that you had lost your children to death, um, to, to kidnapping, to, to whatever. And so the, the big question among scholars is, how, how is Paul using it here? And so there's, there's some debate, there, there's some discussion. Is, is Paul using this, saying that... Uh, but we, brethren, having been taken away, have, that we having been orphaned, is he saying that they are the parent and he's the child now of, of, that has been left without his children or without his parents? Or is he referring to himself as a parent that has lost his children, being uh, the, the Thessalonians? You know, I... Uh, when you read these guys, you think it's uh, you, you think it's like a really important argument. I don't know uh, how important or how significant it is, 
Um, I, the, the guys that made the most case, the biggest, strongest case for me is that Paul is actually a parent that has been orphaned and he, his, his children, the Thessalonians, have been taken from him. In the immediate context, Paul has already referred to himself um, as gentle like a mother and he exhorts and encourages as, as a father. And so I, I believe there's probably, uh, I, I think that you can make a really strong argument that for a parent to, to lose a child in death, there's nothing more uh, tragic. I, I've been with mothers over their dead children, and their dead children sometimes are many years old in their 60s and 70s. And it, it, it is a, a terrible thing to experience that. Uh, this a couple weeks ago, you know, our family we've been doing these hikes from our house up to Stanley Peak. It's about a four four mile round trip, and one of our fir- first journeys, it was me, Gideon, and Grace, and and we uh, we like as you get towards the top, it starts snaking around, and Grace was you know walking up, and and Gideon was really like hot to trot, so he was like running, and so I felt more concerned that I needed to kind of keep up with Gideon. And so I got up to the top, and then it kind of branches out, and I knew Grace was just sort of down below. And, and then I got up there, and I, she, she, she basically didn't, like she was at the top, but she, the top has a bunch of different, there's like the east facing, there's the west facing, and, and so I'm up there with Gideon, and I'm like, I think Grace should be here by now. So I kind of yell out, hey, Grace. And I don't hear anything. And then I yell out, hey, Grace, a little bit louder. And I do this a couple times, and I don't, I don't hear anything. And so then I start running back down the trail to see Grace, and she's walking up the hill taking a swig of water. I'm like, Grace, did you hear me? She's like, yeah, I've been answering, but you haven't, you haven't heard me. And in that moment of running, like in my gut, I was so panicked and so like worried, like what happened to my daughter? And nothing had happened. It just, I didn't hear her respond. Uh, that, 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 that feeling of terror and panic within me is like only a sliver. I, I can only, um, I, well, I don't even want to imagine what guys like, you know, like John Walsh, who was on America's, um, he was the host of America's Most Wanted for, for many years. It was, it's Fox's, like longest running television show I learned this week as I was sort of making sure my facts were straight in my mind. But, but he had a six-year-old son that when they were on vacation, they went through a store and the kid was basically kidnapped and ultimately mur- murdered. And so this, this losing his son drove him and hosting that show and being so committed to the pursuit of, of criminals. And so for parents, it, it, it doesn't take a lot of imagination to, uh, to imagine the sorrow of, and the pain of, of losing your child uh, permanently. Uh, to think of events, you know, I had dear friends who lost two of their children in a car accident in the last few months. It's, it's just horrific to imagine. I think about uh, going to Israel and the Holocaust Museum. One of the, 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 the memorials that I find most powerful is, is the room of, of lights, and it's this place that the lights everywhere, and just 24-7, it reads out the name of each child that was lost during the Holocaust in the three different languages, and it just brings me to tears every single time. 
and and you know like the the thought of like your my kids like moving out and going to college like that's hard enough let alone losing them and and the point of all of this this is the word that Paul decides to use in describing his heart sickness over being separated from these new believers in Thessalonica um you know I I never could imagine or anticipate how difficult some aspects of being a pastor really are. Um, Nor could seminary prepare me for for what it means to sort of shepherd a church and and to realize that, you know, there are people who come and stay and are are faithful for many years, and I, I really do appreciate those people. And then there, there are some people who, um, who, who move on for a variety of reasons. And, you know, every, every so often we have like the, the little three-ring binder of the, the, like the church covenant for the membership. And, and so we have people who are, who are active and then we have who are people who are no longer, uh, the section for people who are no longer members of, of the church. And for this reason, for some reason, like I had some pastor buddies teasing me about something, and I, I, that their teasing me caused me to, to go find this book. And so as I looked at the book, kind of flipping through the, the pages of, of those who have, um, that, are, that are in the, like, the no longer here section. And it's sort of like a, a, a tractor down memory lane. You know, some, many of the individuals have passed away. Some for work have moved on. Some have moved on because they were upset with me and, and I, I realize that as I, I, I look over this, this, this list of names of people who have passed through here over the last 13 years, that, that the, the, the weight and care of shepherding them, even though they are not with me in spirit, that, that the, the, the burden or the weight of the responsibility for these individuals and the time that I had with them it carries just a big weight, and it's something that I never could anticipate the um, sort of the, the the weight of the responsibility of those who uh, you care for as a pastor. And so here, like here we are in the midst of of the, of the coronavirus. Um, it, it's a very unique time for me as as a pastor. We have probably eighty percent of the people back, and and and. and and in, in person, and then there's a number of people who aren't back for a variety of reasons, and um, some I know about. Some of like some I'd say a lot maybe I know of why individuals aren't back here, and then there are uh, there are many that I don't really know the reason. But what I do know is around the world, uh, coronavirus has scattered um, many believers. In large part, like the church is is scattered, and it's a concerning thing for a shepherd of a church. And so I I really just sense Paul's pain here. But we, brethren, having been orphanized, having lost our children for a short while, so he he separated, he, he anticipates that they'll be brought back together. He goes on to say, in person, not in spirit. So they're out of sight, but they're not out of mind. They're always on Paul's heart. He goes on to say, we were all the more eager with great 
desire to see your face. So all the more eager, great desire. Paul's uh, departure wasn't voluntary. Uh, he, he desired, longed for seeing them. I need to go back and see exactly what it says. We were, my, my notes got messed up here. We were all the more eager with great desire to see you face to face. So they were longing to see him. And then this whole phrase, longing to see you face to face. There is an importance of a face to face. I think of parenting, like so often when I'm with my, especially the young boys, and they've done something that they, that they I, I, when it's not trouble, there's no issue with this. But it seems like that there's like when there's some correcting and they don't want to look at me. And it's like, no, no, look at my face. And then you get like, I just get in, cracks me up. He like really intently looks at me and like he's trying to get away, but he's like trying to keep his eyes open. It's like, no, 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 keep your eyes on me. You know, there's, there's something that's just important about seeing somebody's face. Life over the last six months with all the face masks, it's just really odd. Like being in the stores, I, I definitely have a lot of flashbacks of the Middle East and, and the women with the coverings, and you can only see their eyes. And you try to look in their eyes to see, are you smiling? Are you upset? Are you scared? Like, like without seeing your whole face, it's hard to, to really see what's going on. And Paul's saying, I'm, I'm longing to see you face to face. I think of my dad, who's Who's in this retirement home, and they don't really allow for vi- they don't allow for visits, uh, not not in a way that's that's truly uh, feasible with my dad's hearing, and so they we've set up some FaceTime things, but but there is sort of this desire to see my dad like face to face, and so I you know there there are circumstances that that video just won't do, that text messaging just won't do. Um, a, a phone call may or may not do. Nothing can replace face-to-face interaction together. And that's what Paul's desire was for this church. He said, for we wanted to come to you in verse 18, for we wanted to come to you, this desire for, for the best word I can think of is togetherness, that the church is the gathering that it's the assembly. There was this call for togetherness. Togetherness is important and biblical, and it's hard to grow when you're in isolation. Like when you're in isolation, it's very difficult to grow spiritually. Like uh, this is what I thought pre-coronavirus. Now that we're in the coronavirus season, it, it, this, is, this isn't some argument because of the coronavirus. This is some argument because I believe this from the scriptures. And it's been six months at this point from like where the whole gathering was, you, you know, like there was sort of a hiccup, like we're gathering as a church. But I also understand that I'm, I'm speaking. This is part of the sermon where it's like, well, I understand that now I'm, I'm speaking to, to an audience who likely hasn't been here. And so it's been six months. And it's like a difficult like, thing. And, and like, 
I do worry for those that aren't gathering. I am concerned as a pastor for those aren't here. My heart right now is not to come at you like, oh, you're just you're just skimping out. My my heart is that like my assumption about you, like you're obviously watching some video of a of a pastor who's like a no name nobody in the grand scheme of uh, pastors who are on TV. So my assumption about you is that you have underlying health issues, that you have legitimate concerns about the coronavirus, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not denying that. As a pastor, as a shepherd, like even if there was no coronavirus and you were absent for six months, if you were absent for a couple weeks, I would be concerned because absence, you know, the, the, there's a saying that absence uh, only makes the heart grow fonder. Anna's grandpa, what he said to that phrase is absence uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder and he would always tack on of another. And I do think that when you're not gathering with the body of Christ, it's very easy for your heart to get attached to another because there is a very real battle for your soul. And so I would ask you the question, I can't answer this for you. My assumption is the very best, but as a shepherd, I have a responsibility to challenge. Like, are you isolating yourself as best you can legitimately for health reasons and legitimately for, for underlying health issues? Like, I mentioned my dad. He's in isolation. He's an 86-year-old man with underlying health issues, and he's in an assisted living facility, and it has to be that way. You know, or... Are you using coronavirus as an excuse to get out of church? Are you only isolating yourself from churches, but you're going out and participating in life in every other arena? You know, grocery shopping, going to the beach, going to the mall, going to events. I can't answer this, but it's, it's a question that I have to ask you to ask yourself to challenge the real motivation or maybe not the real motivation, like what is your motivation? So that's between you and God. Uh, to those of you who are watching, I do identify with Paul in being orphaned from you all, that I don't see you face to face, that we are not gathering. Hebrews thirteen seventeen gives the warning to me as a shepherd, and it says, for they, speaking of pastors, keep watch over your for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And this is shepherding. This is a strong warning to me as a pastor. And so for me not to like ask you to ask yourself these difficult questions would, would, be, uh, would be a dereliction of duty in some respects on my part. And so I would ask you to, to really... Uh, to check yourself and, and to see, has Satan got a hold of you? Has he deceived you in some way? I'm not saying that's the case. It could be, or, or maybe it's, or it could not be. Like, I, like either way, like I, I just want you to be honest with yourself before God. That's what ultimately matters here. And I think for time I'll move on. So Paul goes on to say, I, Paul, more than once, so, so from here, this is a shift in the text. Paul has been talking about we, 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 this whole, like, this whole time, and very uh, no, uh, like different for Paul. 
Paul goes from like the first person plural of, of all of the people, meaning Timothy, Silas, and Luke, those that uh, had a relationship with the church in Thessalonica. Thessalonia. Uh, now he says, I, Paul. So now he's speaking about himself. He's saying, I, Paul, more than once. Like, he's, he's, he's going to say like, that he's tried every which way to get back to them. But they put this sort of this bounty on him, saying he was not allowed in their town. And so no matter what angle he tried, he kept getting shut down. I don't, I don't know what this looked like, but we do know from the account in Acts that they were pursuing Paul. They were chasing after Paul. They were, uh, they were actively trying to get Paul out of their region. And so Paul, no matter what he did, he just couldn't. And then he continues and he says, we're at the very end of verse 18, I, like I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. So now Satan is is introduced to us as individuals or to them as individuals. And so as Paul was trying to do stuff, Paul, he understood that the resistance ultimately in this case was from Satan, which is really interesting. We don't have time to sort of unpack this, but as we go back to the introduction of Thessalonians, as Paul was going across modern-day Turkey trying to get up to Asia, he knew that the Spirit of God was... Uh, stopping him and hindering him from being able to do that. And he knew that it was the Spirit of God. He gets all the way west of Turkey when he got to Troas. Then he sees the man from Macedonia that gives him the, the, the plea, come, help us. And Paul goes. Paul goes in there and he spends time in Philippi, gets persecuted, run out of town. He spends time in Thessalonia, spends time there, gets run out of town. He makes it to Greece. He spends, I think in my memory, if it's correct, I think he spent six months in Greece. When I look at um, Ephesus, he spent like three years, I think, if my memory is correct there. So Paul would have spent time there. But in this case, as he's getting run out of town, it was, it's, he knew clearly this isn't the Spirit of God pushing me on. This is Satan driving me out, hindering me. And so the first point, like the first obvious point, is that Satan is, is real. There, there are evil forces around us that we cannot see, that we can feel, but we can't see. Satan's desire is to divide and conquer those within the body of Christ. There's no question in my mind. And with that, I can't help, on my, kind of going to my previous thought about the people being isolated from the church and away from the church, away from the gathering, I can't help but to think that Satan is having a field day amongst the churches around the world in the midst of COVID-19, that he is driving a wedge and separating and keeping people apart and isolated, and as you're away from the part, that your thinking gets changed. And so I, I do pray for you that while you're away, that you are spending time in the Word of God, that you're praying, that you're, you're here watching the sermon. And, and like my, my assumption is that you are. Like I, I want to be care. Like I really want to make sure that I'm conveying that. Like I'm not coming down making all these accusations against you. I'm, I, I simply want you to ask the questions, but my assumption we're 30 minutes into this. I preach for 30, you know, like at 45 to 50 minutes. That's like 53 minutes is the cap on the recorder. So uh, I know I have a cap there. But if you're watching this, like so, uh, people who are not trying to get away aren't watching sermons on their Sunday as this is coming out. So my, my assumption is the best about you. But from the Word of God, I have to like, for all of us, 
for for those of us that are attending live, like Satan, like on Sunday, I'll say, well, he could be hindering us that, that that there's a divide for those that aren't with us and how we're viewing those that have different views. Jesus prayed for unity within the body of Christ. Satan wants to create disunity within the church. COVID nineteen is a perfect place to create COVID to create division within the body of Christ over this like six month and counting run. Then he goes on to say, verse nineteen, this. 19 to 20, sort of hard to understand, but also really beautiful. And, and what he says here is for, he asks a question. He asks two questions. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? So this is a question. So the question is like who individually, like who are the group of people is their uh, hope, joy, and crown of exaltation, which is sort of a weird question. He is not looking for you to answer it. He goes on to say, is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? And so the question, he, as he continues with the question, he kind of begins to answer his own question. So the two key words in Thessalonians that we, I've said, hopefully enough that you have memorized, are affliction and advent. And so at, in the midst of the affliction, in the midst of Satan's discussion about Satan hindering them, he begins to speak about the advent of Christ, and he says, as Jesus appears in his glory, and as Paul stands before him in his glory, he believes that his, his shining crown are the individuals that he had the opportunity of, of ministering to. It's beautiful. Verse 20, for you are our glory and joy. He said, he said, all of this suffering, all of this affliction, to see God move in your hearts means the world, means eternity to me. The New Living Translation takes these two verses in this way. I think it's uh, easy to read and to understand. He, said, he writes in the New Living Translation, after all, what gives us hope and joy? And what will our proud reward and crown? What will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus when he returns? It is you. Yes, you are our pride and joy. I tell you, there's nothing, there's nothing more uh, gratifying and wonderful than as, as, a, as a servant of God, as a, as a minister of the gospel, as a, as a pastor of our church, to see what God is doing in the lives of individuals. And I know that God has moved in the lives of individuals through these, these video recordings. Uh, there are people out there that are being ministered through these recordings. Uh, there are people who have met Christ through the recordings that are now meeting in person with us. It's a, it really is just a spectacular and wonderful and rewarding thing. And so as we end today, I'm gonna, uh, like I have my communion. I'm not sure if I'm going to take it right now, but I, I am going to talk through it. So when I look at this passage, these four short verses, the, the beauty of this section that I see is the value of togetherness, and the pain 
of being separated, that Paul said being separated from them, the word he uses, again, is the only word, it's the only time it's used in the whole of the the New Testament, is a word that describes a parent that have had their children taken away from them. Agony, sorrow. And and so this bond that he has with them is, is a bond that is only created through the Spirit of God, that as they receive Christ, they receive the Spirit of God. Paul had the Spirit of God. They then, they were, they were apart from each other by religion, by, by their, their, their nationality, by everything. But as soon as the Spirit of God indwelled them, they became brothers and sisters in Christ. And they were together. And it was meaningful fellowship. And today, as we take communion, part, part of communion conveys the, the, the same thing that um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 33 says, So then, my brethren, when you come together and eat, that you, you come together, that, th- that there's the gathering. The, the conviction by, by most evangelical Bible-believing Christians is that communion is something that should only be done when people are gathered together. There are many uh, who won't do communion th- through this mean. And, and my conscience is, is, is really divided on this issue. Because I see that everything about communion is about the saints coming together to do it collectively. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, and then by the end he says, "Hey, listen, if you're hungry, you eat at home. Don't don't turn the whole taking the Lord's supper as some like banquet when you're there." And so for for today, as we look at communion, for, for those that are away, like my assumption. But my question to you is, like, is, is, is there a, a, a longing to be gathered again? For believers in Christ, I think that there, like, my thinking is that there is deep sorrow in your hearts and deep longing to be a part, again, to your church family. And there's an achiness there. I almost think that there's something beautiful in that for you if you're feeling that because uh, taking communion, it sort of embodies this, the same emotion, like the feeling that you're feeling of sorrow and agony of being separated from the church family is how all of us in Christ should feel being separated from our Lord, longing for the day when we'll see him again, longing for the day when we'll be freed from these sinful bodies, longing for the day when we will be with him 100%, where we see him, as First Corinthians talks about, like not dimly in a mirror, but face to face, that we will see with clarity, just like this passage. And so we take communion for a number of reasons. It's the essence of the gospel, that Jesus died for you, that he was buried, and that he... Uh, was he was killed, he was buried. On the third day, he rose, according to the scriptures. The juice is symbolic of the new covenant, that this was a once and for all act, that when he died for you, it was sufficient to cover 
uh, your sins, past, present, and future. It's a time for us to confess our sin and to renew our relationship with God. Um, It's a time for us to recommit to the mission at hand. We're reminded that Jesus did it all and that as he ascended into heaven, he left us with a great commission to go, therefore, and make disciples. So it's a, re- a reminder to us. And it's a time to, for us to acknowledge our longing for him. And so my prayer for you this week is that you would be able to draw close to Jesus, um, that you would be able to feel close to him, that you would be able to feel close to us, continue to connect with us as a church family, reach out to your church family and friends. Maybe it's through Facebook, maybe it's through texting, maybe it's picking up your phone and and calling somebody from the church and just chitter-chattering to to feel connected. And I do pray and long for the day when we can all truly gather together as the body of Christ here at Grace Point Church. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that you would help this a section of scripture to penetrate. Lord, help us uh, to really examine our hearts, Lord, that we would truly, um, Lord, all of us have areas that, that, that we probably are holding back from you. And Lord, I pray that you would show us areas that we need to surrender, areas that we need to, uh, to give to you. Father, I pray that we could give our fear, our worry, our anxiety to you. Our lives are in your hands. Coronavirus is not greater than you. Whether we live or die, we ask that you would help us to do all for your glory. If we live, we live for Christ. If we die, we go to be with him face to face, as Paul writes in Philippians. Father, I pray that you would help us to truly Live that way. Draw us close to you. You're all our hope. You're all our strength. We need you, Lord. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Well, I look forward to seeing you all next week. And uh, I, I don't know about you, but I certainly have enjoyed Thessalonians. It has been ministering to my soul, and I hope that it has been ministering to your soul as well. Have a great week, and go in peace. God bless you all.